FM Nominal. Five FM celebrating Women's Day. Our phenomenal women sit down to chat with some more phenomenal women. Welcome to the Five FM Phenomenal Women's Month podcast series. I wanted to chat to you guys because I've been seeing you on the internet for the longest time, and as a woman in comedy, I can't help but be inspired by you. Leah Jazz chats to Durban-based comedians Lindy Johnson and Kate Pincook. Welcome to the 5FM Phenomenal Women's Month podcast series. I wanted to chat to you guys because I've been seeing you on the internet for the longest time and as a woman in comedy, I can't help but be inspired by you. So here I am with Lindy Johnson and Kate Pinchak, two of South Africa's hottest women in comedy at the moment. Oh, yes, yes, girl, work it, work it, work it. So, Lindy. Yes. <laughs> at what point did you start on Twitter and then decide you wanted to move to the stage? Thing is, I've always wanted to be a comedian, but like, I think it's, I was talking to my friend earlier about this, where we as women are constantly analyzing our behavior and how to fix those around us, and then also, because of that, we underestimate ourselves, because now you're like, I make people laugh, I'm funny, but am I funny enough? Do I, is it enough to be on stage? I don't think other people will find me funny, it's just my friends. So you keep lowering yourself, and then it got to the point where I was just like, you know what, I make the people around me laugh, that's fine. And then I got Twitter, and I was making these strangers laugh, and strangers coming up to me on campus, they were like, yo, you're so funny, do you do comedy? And I'm like, no, stranger, but I should. <laughs> you should, yeah. And then I was like, from there, it gave me the confidence to get on stage. What was your first gig like? My first gig was the most amazing gig, probably the second most amazing gig I've ever had. The first was Trevor Noah or the Nation One. <laughs> the first, just had to bring that in casually. Yeah, we'll get there, we'll get there. <laughs> um, the first gig I ever had was Marty's Got Talent. Okay. And then I entered, and all my housemates, they were like, they could sing, they could um, play instrument, and they were like, let's do this as a house activity. And I was like, I can't do any of those things, because I'm tone deaf. Like, I know I look like Beyonce, but like, I don't actually sound like her. So I was like, okay, this is my chance, I'm going to do stand-up comedy. And I did it, and I came second, and Robin Feeden was the host, and he was like, actually, this is where you need to go, this is where you need to be, you need to do stand-up comedy. And... Now I'm here on your couch. And now you're here on my couch. Amazing. And Kate, what was it like for you? Um, I did improv at uni, improv comedy, mm -hmm. and so that was like how I kind of entered into stand-up, but I also hadn't considered being funny as a career path at all until then. And people were always like, are really funny? And I was like, am I? I don't think so. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I just didn't see myself as funny. And then I started doing improv comedy and I was like, oh no, I am funny. People think this is hilarious, and then kind of emceed a bit, and then my friend, after we graduated, was like, we're doing a stand-up show, and she booked a show, a festival, at the National Arts Festival, so she was like, get ready. And then I wasn't getting any acting work, and so I was like, well, stand-up is a thing I can do, so I did it, and then I loved it, and now, yeah, I'm that's, on your That's what I love about stand-up, is you don't need anybody else to do it. Totally. It's fully, you are your own writer and director and performer, you don't need to wait for someone to put a script into your life. Yes. Um, something I wanted to ask is, what do you find people treat you differently as a woman in stand-up? Because my first gig... I remember going to underground comedy here in Durban, and all the boys were standing outside going, did you guys hear there's a chick on tonight? Oh my god. So I've definitely found that people treat me a bit differently. Do you have the same experience? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. Because you Maybe feel... in some spaces, but like, I think a lot of people 
they didn't expect me to be funny when I started. They were just like, oh, okay, here's a girl trying, whatever, yeah. let's be nice to her, whatever. She's going to leave soon. There was a lot of attitude where I was just going to try for a few times and then I'd go. And people like, don't I have those expectations of men. No. Yeah. They don't take you as seriously in the beginning. So, like, comedy, I feel, is complicated because on the one hand, it feels like a meritocracy where... You get spaces for being good, and I don't feel like I've gotten spaces for being a woman. I feel like I've gotten spaces for being good yes. at what I do, and I feel like comics respond to you if they see you have potential or they think you're good. Yes. Then they'll take you on and mentor you and help you, regardless whether you're a woman or not. Yes. But there is some very casual sexism and misogyny in the space as well. So, like, yes, I do feel like I get treated differently because I'm yes, a woman. Yes, but I don't feel like it impacts my growth as a comedian at all yes. so while I am I try my best to dismantle it I also you know I'm more focused on doing a good job like yeah. gaining traction in my career that's so much more important to me because I've realized now that the more power I have the more influence I have the more I can do to change things yes. and being this angry woman who keeps shouting and it's just nobody's gonna listen to you because you have no name. They don't care about you as a human being. So you have to build your name so that you can change things. Mm. And humor is a weapon. It is. Totally. Because getting angry is never gonna make somebody wanna actually change anything. Yes. You're gonna make people think about things when you're making them laugh. Absolutely. Yes. It's the most successful way to get people to listen to you. And do you think people expect your content to be woman centric? Yes. Of course. And are people surprised when they see your shows? Um, I guess, I mean, I feel like my content is woman-centric because it's really personal, so, and I'm a woman, so yeah. just by virtue of being personal, it's about women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think even women don't feel welcome in comedy spaces as an audience as well. Yeah. It's like this, this boys club of activities. Mm. Well, I mean, I like, in terms of my content, I remember when I started, a lot of people would come up to me and be like, you know what's so cool is that... You don't talk about the stuff that other women talk about. Mm. Like, oh, that makes me better. Dana mm. Alexander has a great um, joke about that where she's like, oh, I'm your favorite person in a group of people that you hate. <laughs> That's great, thank you. But also I find women who come to comedy, uh, there was this one woman I spoke to um, after the show and she was like, it was so nice when you were on stage because I could relax. Mm. Because when the men are on stage, I'm always tensed up because I think, I, like I assume that you're going to say something that's directed at me, that's misogynistic, that I don't even realize, but like it's an insult to whoever I am, or like if I'm a black woman or like whatever space I'm in, they're going to insult me. So you can't relax, you can't, and I didn't even realize that's something I do too when I watch other comedians, I'm like, is it going to come? Is Bracing it? yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, the joke. Oh, it was funny and it didn't offend me. Great. So I find women can relax when there are other women on stage, which is a really great thing and what comedy is supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why we created the our Frizz Pop Comedy Nights, which yeah. are all women lineups, to encourage more women audience members to come to a safe space where comedy isn't a space where you feel like you're going to get marginalized or attacked or feel the weight of your oppression, but you yes. can actually relax and laugh because that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, and you get to talk about things that women don't really get to share in public spaces. Yes, and you get to hear the agreement of things that sometimes in a male-dominated room might be met with awkwardness and tension. In a room full of women, 
you know, you can feel like the agreement of like having a shared experience. Which yes. is very, um, it's, I mean, it's my favorite game to play. And women aren't scared to laugh. Yes, because there's like, women around them. Yeah, so they all know this is a shared experience. It's a safe space. So when you go to, I wouldn't call it a normal gig, the other gigs. The male dominated. <laughs> yes, group. when you go to other gig, um, the women are like, they, they're sitting next to other men. So then other men are going to react and it's going to be. Because you always try, as a woman, you always try to avoid any conflict ever. Yeah. So now you don't laugh in case it upsets other people. So if I do a joke on stage and it's completely innocent, something like, I know, well, men are trash. And that's the punchline in school. It's a very basic punchline. I just want to say my comedy isn't that basic. But <laughs> if that was the punchline, then women are like, that's funny, but what if he's offended? Yeah. Or what if other people are offended? Or So you just keep quiet and you laugh on the inside. Mm -hmm. And I get so many messages where, I saw this woman in the crowd. And she wasn't like, she was laughing, smiling. And then afterwards she's like, you were so funny. I'm like, it doesn't count now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You were supposed to laugh then. But thank you so much. Tag me in all the photos. And do you feel that your comedy, both of you, is challenging that thing of making people feel comfortable as a woman and going, well, I don't care whether or not you feel comfortable, not just for yourselves, and the, but for the people in the audience as well, to, to have the confidence to say, well, I'm not here to make you comfortable, actually. Mm, the thing is, I never want to make people uncomfortable, mm. but I can't, as a comedian, it's in our nature to challenge everything, every taboo topic, and something that Kate and I both speak about in our stand-up is abortion, and it's always made made to such a frigid response and I'm like I know people in this room know what I'm talking about I know you understand the joke but you are choosing this like what society says you should respond to abortion like and it's very difficult but I'm not trying to make anybody uncomfortable you're trying to have your say no I'm trying to start the conversation yeah Mm. And I don't want to be a conversation starter. It's just the nature of my job now yeah. that I have to do this yeah. thing. It's a responsibility. I was going to say, do you feel responsible for that? I do. I feel responsible. It's made me read so much more. Mm. It's made me look at all the angles, all the possibilities, because I'm also not looking to offend anybody. If there's someone who's had an abortion in the audience, I don't want them to feel uncomfortable. I want them to be like, yeah, this is a normal thing that we talk about, and it's cool. Yeah. At what point did you two meet and decide that you had to do something about the spaces in comedy? Um, very early on. We met when we were... We've both been in the scene, but we never got put on the same lineups because yeah. you don't have lots of women on a lineup often. So you kind of token. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It took well, forever for us to be on the same lineup. So we ended up, I think I messaged Lindy, that's how all her friendships start. You slid into the DMs. I slid into Lindy's DMs and I was like, please let's meet because I've been hearing so much about her and I was like so desperate for another woman my age and the same level as me. And then we met up and we had coffee and chatted like so much about the scene and what we wanted to do in it. And it was the first time I got to share my experiences of being a woman in the space with someone who like understood it. It was yes. like, very validating. It was so affirming because like I would say something and then Kate would be yes, and when they yeah. do it like that, and I'm like yes. Yeah. Like, so the whole conversation was just like me too. That's how it started. I was there. <laughs> oh my god, amazing! So how long ago was that that you've been? How long have you been doing first pop? About a year. Yes, we started in 2018. And do you have enough people in Cape Town to fill the lineup? I mean, I know you're not Cape Town based anymore, but do you have enough people to fill up your lineups? We've had like four or five. 
first pop suit, we only had to repeat acts once. Yes. Wow. Because the whole point of um, the first pop at the Rapture room, so first pop is also the show we do together. Yes. But the first pop at the Rapture room, lineup show, the whole point was to create a space for new women comics to perform in. So every week, or every month, we had one space for a woman comic who had maybe never performed yet to yes. create a safe space for a woman comic to start comedy mm. and to encourage more women to start comedy. This is intimidating. Even yeah. my experience of the guys being like, oh, there's a trick tonight. Yeah. Oh, 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 we'll see. We'll Super see. Super intimidating. Yeah. So we wanted like a supportive space with like women who are more experienced than you who can like support you. Yes. And so we're also trying to create more women comics basically yeah. to grow the industry. But also like to keep them. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of women who try to come in and never do it again yeah. because they just didn't. They felt the space was too intimidating, or even if you don't like it, doing comedy, I just want the space to be more affirming, yeah. more welcoming for women. <coughs> you don't have to like because the first time I tried comedy, I was at armchair and it was just mm. men everywhere and they were just staring at me and I was like. It's in a bar where people are drinking alcohol and at the time I wasn't drinking at all and I was just like, and I never went out to bars or nightclubs so it was very scary for me but I just loved comedy so much I was like, I'll, I'll do anything, mm. it's fine but what if, because I watched um, Material, Riyad Musa's, did you guys watch the movie? Mm. I watched a movie and there was a scene where Riyad went to a club and then as initiation they threw a bucket of beer over him and I was like, I'm so scared they do that. Really? <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm like, I'm so convinced they're going to throw That's beer so at me funny. and I have to go back to my mother's very Christian house and be like, yeah, I smell like beer after I tried comedy once. I'm an alcoholic now. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. Who are some of the women that have come through your first pop lineups? Mel Jones. Lindy Johnson, um, <laughs> <Kate> <laughs> so, uh, Sophie Jones is one of the Sophie, new ones. Yes. Was Mira, Mira, Timmy M. Carr. Yes, Roshana Daniels. She's great. I want her to do Yeah. Um, Arlene Peterson. Arlene. Who's great. She's looks just up. like me. <laughs> <laughs> that must be confusing. <laughs> oh, not for me. <laughs> <laughs> A double act way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've had Gilly after Gilly, um, Gilly. Yeah. And in the show you guys do together, so you, I, I mean, just for the sake of people watching who don't know what I know, how, how does it go? What's the format? Do you come on together? Do you come on one at a time? Well, we start, we come on together, we do a dance routine. Um, <laughs> it's was, very good. Yeah, it's choreographed by me. That's a proper English word. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then we do 20 minutes together. Yeah, so we do two mics, which is this thing where you have two mics and you both speak on the mics. Um, yeah. That's my description of two mics. It's the thing where you have mics, but instead of one, there's two. <laughs> uh, basically, having a conversation. Yeah, with us, with each other. But just audience. like not your guys' kind of conversation, because ours is very funny. So. <laughs> it's not the same. Shots fired! <laughs> we want people to pay I mean, for this. <laughs> no, we want people to pay for this. So, what's the difference between our conversation and the conversation they have at home? You see, I'm yes. telling them this is why you pay money. Okay. And also, we won't insult you this much if you come. That's not true. <laughs> Depends what you're wearing. And then, um, and then we do, one of us goes off, and then we do our set, and another one comes to do a set, and then we end off with us again. But not really, we just have I. 
Yeah, sometimes you talk to them. It That's depends true. on the audience. If you want to talk to you more, then we would. Yeah. It hasn't happened yet, but maybe <laughs> you guys will be the audience where we want to talk to you more. <laughs> and you feel, does it happen, did it always happen quite organically between you two? Yeah, we also live together, so we talk to each other a lot, you know. Yes. We have quite a good rapport. And material comes from your real life experiences. Yes. Yeah. Cool. And the things we experience together, because it's always quite. Um, what's the town we went to? Because we took a oh, road yeah. trip. Haref. Yes, we took a road trip to Grahamstown from Joburg, and we stayed in a place called Geripdam, mm -hmm. which is in the middle of nowhere, and it's just Afrikaans everywhere, and lots of white people, and I just, you know, it was just not a safe place for colored woman and a Jewish girl. Like it's just. It, it looked like the kind of place that we shouldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> or we wouldn't live. Yeah, we wouldn't live a life. Wow. And then, what happened? No, it's fine. It's really everyone I mean, that's why we're sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You lived. You lived. Yeah, everyone's really nice. So we watch TV and the TV. So, people refer to you as the Beyonce of comedy. How do you deal with the fame? <laughs> I don't want to be referred to as... Beyonce of comedy because I feel like it's so blasphemous. She's done so much for us. You know what I mean? Like she sacrificed raising the children for us, and now she's um, been eating apples for us. Okay, exactly. nothing but. She's she went vegan for us. I would never do that for you guys. All comedy, like I wouldn't even give up spur for you people. <laughs> and I barely go. Sorry, those onion rings though. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sick. This is my moment. <laughs> But I don't think anybody calls me that, they shouldn't, but dealing with the fame is really difficult, actually, I'm learning now, as I don't think I'm famous, I just think people are starting to recognize me and they know which space I'm in, so it's very difficult, because I'll go out and I'll be like, why is everybody staring at me, this is so rude, and I'll go home, and then one, one very brave person will be like, are you that girl? And then I'm like, oh, okay, yes, yes, I am that girl. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yes, the comedian, it's me. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm dealing with it, but it's, it's, I'm getting used to it. Do you find people approach you like they know you? If they've seen you on stage or read your tweets or have followed you for a long time on the internet? Twitter people always do. It doesn't matter how long they've been following me. They always go, Lenny, how are you doing? How's your roommate? Did your next gig? Did your mommy say anything? And I'm like, you don't know. So don't talk about us. <laughs> how do you protect yourself in those environments? Like, how do you come across as like? <laughs> I'm not doing a good job of protecting myself. Uh, that's so funny. Because like this guy messaged me on Tinder and then we were chatting because after we matched and I was like, no, I'm a comedian and he was like, I'm not gonna ask you where you're performing tonight because that's talkish. So I was like, no. It's fine. If you buy a ticket, you can come. No, it's fine if you're a stalker. Like, that's not stalkish. Stalkish is showing up to the gig with your boot open and duct tape. Like, that's that's extreme. But just asking is cool. So, it's fine. He didn't ask. We went on and he was like, enjoy your gig tonight at the backstage. And I was like, oh my gosh. How did you find that out? And he's like, I just googled Lindy and comedian. And then, I just, and then I know where you're performing tonight. And I'm like... That's so dangerous, like, anybody I be... know, I can't believe we do that, like, you know with women, you're like, not supposed to talk to strangers or tell them where you're going to be, and we're like, I'm going to be here at this time. <laughs> exactly, it's so scary. People know where I am all the time, even in strange cities, like, I'm in Durban, I don't know where I'm going and yeah. I'm going to get We've told everyone where we'll be and when. 
So if somebody wanted to kidnap you, it they would be so easy. made it very easy for them. I mean, if we've helped only, them. If anybody kidnaps me successfully, I praise them because I am not like I'm iffy. Like, how are you doing that? And I'm loud. Like, I'm not saying okay, not this is a challenge. Yeah, you're like, if anyone who kidnaps me, two free tenders. Comes for life. Yeah. Comes forever. Please don't kidnap. Well, actually, they'll just have you there as a performing yeah, comedian. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it'd be a problem. Maybe do comedy in the basement. But comedy is a very vulnerable space. You're showing a lot of yourself when you're out there, when you're on stage. How do you protect yourself emotionally? Not so much on a physical level from kidnappers, but from your energy just being sapped and draining yourself all the time. If you're gigging nightly, which I'm sure you guys are mm -hmm. almost. Yes. Yeah? How do you make sure that you don't wake up crying? Because that happens. It's a practice, I think. What I think do you, you get... think? It does happen, and I think it's a practice, and you get better at figuring out how much of yourself to share and how much of yourself you need to protect and keep. And I think in the beginning you want to share everything, and then you learn that like this. So I won't say anything on stage that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. I'll so I'll share a lot of things, but nothing that makes me. I talk about sex a lot, but not in a way that makes me feel uncomfortable. And if I say something and it makes me feel uncomfortable once, I will not talk about that thing again. Mm. Because I'm not willing to risk my mental health for my job. Yeah, because yeah. I think people don't know how vulnerable comedy actually is. Yeah. They see you standing on stage, they see you telling jokes, they laugh, and it's all fine and well and fun and funny. But they don't realize that a lot of comedians really struggle internally with what's going on. And putting yourself out there is an act of courage and vulnerability. It it's not easy to navigate that. I mean, a lot of comedians are known to be depressed. Mm. How do you navigate that? Well, you're facing hey, hey. hey, hey. squat <laughs> deep. You're facing rejection all the time. Constantly. You're opening yourself up to like being rejected to your face and confronting that feeling, and I think that is very vulnerable and takes quite a lot out of you. Mm. And it does happen. It's not that you're opening yourself up to rejection that doesn't happen. You're opening yourself up to rejection that inevitably will happen. You yeah. will get rejected yeah. and will yes. hurt you. And you'll have to get back up again and do it. But I think it also makes you incredibly compassionate and willing to fail. You have to be very good friends with failure. Because if you're not willing to fail and learn from that, you can't do it. I think that I didn't learn until I was well into comedy. Actually too far in is that comedy is everything. It's so all encapsulating. So my interactions during the day, because I'd be like with friends or with strangers, and I used to work a retail job, and that's very emotionally draining. And then I'd go on stage and I'd do the same thing, and then my whole body would not respond well, because it's too much to the system. So you have to plan your entire life around this thing you're only going to do for 5 to 30 minutes at night. Mm. So you have to plan your entire day and how, because it's so intensely, like, emotionally draining in that moment. Comedy is so all-encapsulating. Yes. Like, it's your whole life. It's your, your entire focus changes when you get into stand-up comedy, when something you really love. So from then on, you have to align your entire day to how much energy you're going to expend later on. And people don't think it's that much. Because it's just five minutes on stage, it's just 15 minutes, 10 mm. minutes, whatever. But it is a lot, it's not just that. And it's all of you, you're so vulnerable, you are depleted at the end of it. So you have to arrange your whole day, mm. so you're ready for that. So most days, I don't speak to people. Um, <laughs> yes, I love her. She lives with me, and I like, most times the 
first time I speak to people is when I go to a gig. Because I know I'm the type of person, this is just me, I'm not a very social person. I don't like talking to people that much. I don't have that much to say. That's so not true. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that I don't have much to say, I just, I don't care to share it. Yes, that's why. Yes, that is way more accurate. I don't care to share it and talk to other people about my thoughts because I don't feel like everybody's going to get it. And explaining myself is so draining. Mm -hmm. It's draining. Yeah. So then I go to comedy and I'm around comedians who already understand me. I don't have to spend that much energy. And then it's just stand up. And that's the way my day goes and it works for me right now. Because you figure it out. Like just if you work a 9 to 5 job or any other kind of job, you figure it out on the way there. You're like, this works for me. But it won't ever work for you unless you find it. Yeah. You have to consciously be like, it's not working, I'm going to change the situation, I need to be more. What are your rituals before and after a gig? For either of you. Um, I go over my set. I usually do a like body scan. My mom's into meditation, so I body scan up my body, I close my eyes, I'm like, to ground myself. And the more I gig, the less intense of a thing I have to do. Like when I started, I used to literally have to clear my entire day because I would get so nervous that I couldn't do anything properly. And I would like go for a run, have a bath, do yoga, like do everything to like calm myself down. And now I like more just have to spend a bit of time alone to like get into my own brain. And then sometimes listen to music. I have a couple songs. I have a playlist that I like to listen to when I'm like driving to a gig or going to a gig. Give us one of the songs that's on the playlist. Um, no Church in the Wild. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Perfect. Um, and it's currently got a lot of Lizzo on it. Hey. As it should. Yeah, and then like body scan and. But also part of the ritual for me was just gigging a lot mm. and then like getting used to doing that all the time and then it felt like less of a drain, a strain or draining thing to do. Yeah, so mine is basically just, it's just like the more you do it, the less prep you have to do. Yes. So mine was used to be, not the old day. But that was like in the beginning, beginning. The hour or two before and mm. now it's just, just before I go on stage, I need nobody to speak to me just for like two minutes or so and then I just need complete silence both around me and inside my head and then I can go on stage and do the thing and as long as I know my set I'm super confident I'm fine and then afterwards I need quite a bit of coming down mm. because there's something very invincible about being on stage like you feel like you can jump off a ceiling or something you know <laughs> jump mm. off a ceiling yes can't even jump on a ceiling <laughs> Don't worry about jumping on. I didn't ask you for the logistics. You don't need to explain this for me. But I know that I'm feeling. I'm the one doing the jumping. Yeah, I know that feeling. For yeah. sure. You, do. you don't know my quad strength. I don't actually. <laughs> 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 you feel like you can fly. Yeah, yes. yeah, definitely. So I definitely need to bring myself way down. So I listen to music. I dance a lot just to get like... <laughs> Sometimes Kate walks in on me dancing. And then we both scream. <laughs> yes. It's happened several times where she walks in the door, we make eye contact and we both scream in fright. <laughs> and we scare each also, other. Oh yes. Can I say why? Yes. Lily dances in the dark. <laughs> so I'll come home, there'll be no lights on. 
and just like shuffling noises because she's wearing earphones. And then I open the door and she's like dancing around, but like a shadowy figure. And then I scream and she screams, and we get really, we get afraid. Killed with the power of dogs. Yes. Oh I God. like the dog. It feels better to be in the dog. Something is wrong with your eyes. There's nothing wrong with my eyes. I just like the dog. I think you're really light sensitive. Maybe the light just sucks. Nobody ever, even always says it's a woman's problem. This is where it starts. <laughs> I'm a woman. I don't have this problem. Yeah, you're the only woman in the room with the problem. Oh, okay. And, and that I'm also problem. the woman of color in the room. Wow. <laughs> you got us. how it starts. <laughs> you got us. So what's, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you on stage? Um, like, how wrong can it go? For me, was when I had a bit of a cold, but I was coming off it, and then I coughed on stage, and then I tried speaking again, and my voice was gone. <laughs> For the rest of the set? It was for like a while afterwards, so I had to like bring it back, and I was like, and in the case is giving a demonstration. It's just such, and uh, I just started, so I was like six months in, and I was like, there was so much panic happening, but I like I kept the show going, and I was super proud of it, of myself as well. But like I will never forget that panic. I literally wanted to start crying because my voice was gone. It did not want to come back. And you thought that's it forever. Like. Yeah, that's done. I can never speak again. I'd have to quit my job at the Waltons. Oh my god! <laughs> quit your job at the Waltons. You'd have to quit your job in the comedy. You could yeah, still do I mean, the Waltons job. But I was six months in. I didn't think comedy could be a career. <coughs> I thought my career was selling HP pencils to middle-aged moms. <laughs> mm, how did that work out? Much better than I thought it would. And you, Kate, have you ever had any disaster experiences? Um, I'm trying to think. I had one recently. I had a gig where the audience they overbooked mm. the venue, and then I haven't told you the story, so I'm telling you now. So they overbooked, <laughs> I about this gig. I'm they overbooked the venue. Um. And then there wasn't a stage, and the room, there was like a divide in the room, so half the audience was behind you, half the audience was in front of you. The MC went on, the audience wouldn't stop talking, so he like buckled and went off, got a different person at MC. Oh, no. Audience carried up talking. I went on, did a set to literally 100, 150 people who were all talking. For like, those of you who don't know, but like MC swapping out is the most unheard of thing ever. Yeah. It, it does not happen. And in comedy, you don't get off stage. We yes. don't have that instinct in us. There's no flight. Yeah. It's fight all the way. So yeah. you don't get off stage. This is what she's describing. If you've never been to a comedy show, you know nothing about comedy. It's weird. It's completely yes. weird. Like we've had people talking and then you bring them back. There's always a way to bring the audience back. But if an MC isn't bringing them back and a second MC isn't making people stop talking, then you are screwed. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's who like being on a second show. Oh, actually, the worst story was one time I was hosting um, a gig and I can see at the at the back of the room there's like an outside. A fight had started between the owner of the venue and like these two guys, and then I just carried on hosting because I'm like they don't, they can't see, so it's it's the audience's backs up to the fight, so I'm like I'm just gonna carry on hosting. Then a bucky pulls up, more guys get off the bucky. I'm like oh my god, is this gonna become like a proper? And I'm like I just have to make sure the audience doesn't turn around and look at this. 
and I felt like the musicians playing on the Titanic. <laughs> I was like standing with my microphone being like, they must never know. They must just look at me and my smiling face while I watch these people potentially kill each other. Literally Outside only men would do that. Oh yeah. Of course. Like, you never see bar fights breaking up. Okay, maybe maybe in some parts of the world, but... But you know what I find about the woman's side? Because I went to a girl's school since I was like four years old and then I matriculated. So there's my whole life. The fights are very short. It's efficient. A yeah. fight between two women, couple of slaps here and there, no hair pulling. It's a very fair fight. Um, no, I saw one girl bite someone. But I feel like it was a very specific thing going on there. But the fights are super efficient. I actually enjoy a girl fight. Like, I would definitely... Like, I'd watch a few. You I pay to see a girl fight. I wouldn't pay to see a girl fight because I don't want to encourage violence. <coughs> but if it is happening around me, then I'll choose a winner, that kind of thing. Put some bets on place, that kind of thing. But a men's fight, I'm just like, you guys are trying to fight to the death. And Men are always fight. trying to kill each other. They're like not fighting chill. They're like I saw Can them the other day. Him? Yeah, just what? <laughs> I mean, it's basically the population taking care of itself. Yeah, it's like, true. Yeah, it's true. The problem true. just solving itself. Yeah, exactly. One bashed head against the wall at a time. Oh my god! Why? Why? That's what I saw the other day. Man bashed another man's head against a wall. Why? They were playing pool and they got crushed. And I was like, can you calm yourselves down? This is why we need women on stage with microphones because men do crazy stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. That's, that's not cool. So, do you feel, how do you find your experience in collaborating, working together as women? Do you think we need more connection when it comes to putting on shows, working together? Like, how do we, how do we create that community? How do we foster that? I mean, I know you guys have your amazing thing happening where you are, but nationwide and even globally, how do we encourage these connections and growth rather than competition? Collaboration you know ahead of competition. I'm quite tired of the honors being put on women to start these collaborating oh. efforts. Like, mm. give women the power, give women the spaces, and it's not us who was in control. Yeah. So why is it being put on us to change a system we didn't build? Like, it's really ridiculous. And it's always this thing of, woman, stop tearing other woman down. And like, of course, we're going to tear each other down. If there was only one comedy spot on the lineup for a woman, of course, I'll try and fight every other woman mm. I can see. You know what I mean? Mm. Make more spaces for us. Yeah. And we would, we'd be the best of friends. Yeah. But I also don't feel like there is competition between the women in the industry. Um, I think everyone is very supportive, in my experience. Yes. Everyone's very supportive was of each other. I wasn't yes. serious. And I think, just reach out. Reach out yeah. to the woman around you because generally when you do that, in my experience, the women around you, in my industry at least, are very much willing to collaborate and help and work yes. together and want to yeah. be working with more women and want to be doing stuff together. Definitely. So, reach out. I've totally found that as well. So, if there's a young and upcoming woman, or not even upcoming, someone who's never tried comedy before, would you recommend them trying to get in touch with you or one of the yes. other women's comics yes. in the country? Yes, and we will help you. We I always say that to all the women who talk to me about wanting to do comedy. And a lot of people don't follow through, which is really disappointing. Mm. But I do get that it isn't for everyone. But I always say if you want, like, I will do everything to help you. I want it to be easier for you than it was for me. Yeah. And then it will if be easier and easier. you want to try comedy, write down a five-minute set. That's all. You yeah. don't have to do anything else. Write down the five-minute set. If it makes you laugh, 
contact us. Yes. That's all That's you need advice, to do. Yeah. Just write the five minutes. <coughs> then you are doing 90% of the work. Mm-hmm. The 10% is us telling us where to go, what mm-hmm. to do on stage, how, how, to, how to connect to the other comedians if you're yes. too intimidated. We got that. Mm-hmm. 90% of it is you just writing five minutes of comedy. That's all mm-hmm. you need. We will help you. Don't, we're not just saying that. We will yeah. help you. And do you offer advice on workshopping material and things like that? Or do you feel your work is your work and you need to workshop that yourself? No, I think I, it's a very personal thing. Yeah, so I've had newcomers who ask, what do you think? And then I'm obviously very happy to help. If I must watch you, I will do that. Yeah. I'll help you as much as possible. But if you're not asking me, then I'm not going to tell you. Because mm. I don't feel you should tell someone what to do on stage. That's funny because when I started, I found after every show, men wanted to come up to me and tell me what they thought of my set. Mm. You did this wrong. I like this. Yeah. Try this. Oh, let me help you. I want to train you. These are yes. the like, mm. eight elements of humor. Like, I don't care <laughs> what you think. No woman has ever come up to me and been like, you're doing it wrong. Let me show you. Yeah. It's like something that men feel... Although, I do appreciate comics making notes yes, on my sets yeah. and giving me feedback That's about it. That's how you grow. Yes. And so I think if you see something that you want to give a note on, give a note. That's kind of the culture of the industry yes. which I like. Yes. That people go like, oh, this is... It's not nice when you're in the beginning because in the beginning, really what you should be doing is just being on stage a bunch. Yeah. And yeah. you should be worrying There's about There's no advice words. that someone can give you when you're starting because you're still finding your voice. Yeah. Quite literally, yeah. your voice. Mm-hmm. And you need to be comfortable on stage. And that's more important than you're funny. Because mm-hmm. if you weren't funny, you wouldn't get stage time. And so okay. if you are still getting stage time, you are funny and then you will grow. And also the only thing that will make you go is stage time. Yeah, because I've felt uncomfortable about that personally as a comic. is like, am I actually even funny? And sometimes I think, probably not. But if I'm getting stage time, I, like, I really appreciate what you've just said. Because you, you make me feel like maybe actually I am a little bit funny sometimes. Which is great. But becoming comfortable on stage is something that I need personally. And that I'd like to see more of. What advice would you give to somebody like me that wants to start their own gig in their city? Do it, just do it. Absolutely, do it. But make sure that you know the gig is good. And um, the thing is, there's a lot of elements that comes with having a good gig. Like just basically the room is it small? Is it compact? Low roof? Those kind of basic things. Really dark. That's perfect. Like any basement type of thing is perfect for stand-up comedy. Like. Any the underground. This is why I like to talk. If you feel like you could actually be murdered in the space, then it's a good Yes, comedy. like if you feel like this is a room where someone could hide a body, that's where stand-up comedy should happen. Yes. <laughs> good sound, good lighting. Yes. But also and like, t- remember that you've learned stuff from doing a bunch of gigs. You've yeah. learned what works and what doesn't. So take those things that you've learned yes. from bad gigs and good gigs. Make and sure you have a good them. relationship with the owner of the venue. Yeah, and that the terms are clear at the beginning yes. of what they're giving you. And be stern about it because you know comedy. They don't know comedy. Yeah, yeah. So when you go in with that knowledge, you need to be, okay, this is what we need, this is how it's done. And you don't compromise on that because comedy is extremely temperamental. So if you maybe have people serving food, accept the comedy. Yeah, accept the comedy. So I will just, we'll just bleep it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and oh, there was something. Oh, where do you want to take Frizz Pop? Do you feel like it's something you want to take to the world? Yes. Yes. 
we were really planning our trip to Australia. Yeah, we have a lot of money, so we're going to yeah, do a lot of money to go there. Funders apply now. Yes, if you want to fund us, we want to go to Australia, Adelaide Fest. Is yeah. And um, Edinburgh. I was just going to say, I totally Edinburgh. see you guys at French festivals. Yes. Yeah, we definitely want to, we want to do French festivals. You want to? Yeah, we want to do festivals. That's what we're Anywhere doing. Anywhere for, uh, for a spot can go, we want to yeah. go. And TV Financially. stuff? Would you guys consider writing a TV series? Yes, we yeah. would consider doing that. Mm, Lindy's got a got thinking face. <laughs> I've got my ashamed face. <laughs> Apparently, I can't tell the difference. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much to Lindy Johnson and Kate Pinchuk for Thank joining you. me on this conversation. It's Thank you so, so much for having us. Oh, such a pleasure, honestly. Thank you. Let's do this again. Yes. Please. And you guys are always welcome on my couch. Thanks. Yes. I fell asleep here on your couch. Not on this Not this one. Not on this one. Very comfy couch. Oh, it's so comfy. We should have filmed on that one. <laughs> no, we no. Would have no, we would have fell asleep. There we yeah. go. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much for Bye. joining me. Thanks. Bye. Bye. To hear more, check out the full interview on 5FM TV on YouTube. Okay, ladies. Or listen to it on 5FM.co.za. Now let's get information.